Turn your Bibles, please. How many of you have your Bible with you tonight? Hold it up real high. I like that. Isn't that beautiful? A Bible-carrying, Bible-believing, Bible-memorizing church, and a Bible-using church. God bless you. You're the greatest people in all the world. God bless you. We appreciate Brother and Mrs. Mays being with us tonight, our missionaries who serve the Lord in a supportive role, going around from place to place, laying on the hearts of people, the people of God, the importance of ministering to exceptional people. God bless you. We're so thankful for what you have meant to us, Brother and Mrs. Mays. Well, the basic passage of Scripture tonight is Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, beginning with verse 36. And we'll be referring to Luke and to Genesis and to Daniel and to Revelation. So have your Bible ready, please. We may never get through tonight. The Lord may come first. Wouldn't that be great? Amen. Let's again pray. Our Father, we thank Thee for the opportunity and joy of being in this place. Thank You for those songs, that beautiful organ selection, Is Not This the Land of Beulah? And that soul that has reminded us that one day we'll be face to the King. Now, Lord, we pray that there shall come into every one of our hearts a spirit of expectancy. And may we so commit our lives to live in the light of the glorious coming of Jesus. If there's one person here tonight who is not saved, may he come to Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 24, beginning with verse 36. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two shall be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And in Luke chapter 21, verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For like a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape 
all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And then will you turn to Mark chapter 13. In Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 32, but of that day and that hour knoweth no man, know not the angels who are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is like a man taking a far journey who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the potter to watch, the porter to watch. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh, at evening or at midnight or at cock crow or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch, watch. Now, we do not know when Jesus is coming again. I cannot stand here tonight and say, I know the hour or the day. I know that he's coming on March 26th. So be sure to be here Miracle Day. I cannot say that I know Jesus will come to this earth before December or before Christmas or that I know he's coming before tomorrow morning. But all of the authority of the Word of God gives me the authority to say to you tonight, Jesus may come before the end of this service. Watch, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. But God has done some unusual things in Scripture. And one of the things that always amazes me is His willingness to limit Himself. When God came to earth in the form of Jesus, He limited Himself. He poured Himself into a man, and He took upon Him all the limitations of a man. He could only be in one place at one time. He was thirsty. He grew hungry. He grew tired. He had to sleep. God chose to limit himself in order to identify with man so that man could identify with God, so that man would know how to get from this world to heaven, and so that man could have a deliverer, a savior, so that the blood of God flowing from Calvary's cross could cleanse every sin stain. And God limited himself. Well, I want to announce to you tonight that God has taken upon himself another limitation. He promised in Amos and in other places in the Scripture that God will do nothing except he reveal his secrets unto his prophets. Do you believe that's in the Bible? That's what he says. He said, I'll do nothing except I reveal my secrets unto my prophets. 
As an example of that, God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. He was fed up with it, with their sin, their debauchery, their wickedness. And God could have come down suddenly and wiped them off the map, but God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I'm not going to do anything till I tell my friend Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God gave Abraham an opportunity to pay the price in intercessory prayer. And Abraham prayed. He really prayed for Lot. But his word said, Lord, if you can find 50 righteous people down there, will you spare the city? Yes, if, you can, if I can find 50. 40, 40, 30, 30, 20, 20, 10. Yes, I'll save it for 10. Dr. Lee used to say, Abraham Jewed God down. But when he got to 10, that's as far as he went. God couldn't even find 10. But notice, God didn't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until he told Abraham. And then God, after 400 silent years from Malachi to Matthew, God was going to send his only begotten son to this earth. He said, John, you go out there and preach. Behold, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John the Baptist went out in the wilderness of Judea and there came down to him all of Jerusalem and John began to preach, the Son of God is coming, the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand, repent. Some believed and some believed not. But there was a witness. God didn't do it before he revealed his secrets to his prophets. God was going to destroy this world by a terrible flood the first general judgment upon sin. God could stand it no longer. We read in Genesis 4, Genesis 5, Genesis 6, that the wickedness of man was great and evil continually, and it repented the Lord that he had made man, and God said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. What God do? Just suddenly destroy it? Just like that, he could have. No, God limited himself. He said, I've got to tell Noah. And I'm going to give Noah a chance to preach and some might repent because God is long-suffering to usward. And in the lineage that led to Noah of the sons of Seth, there was an unusual man named Enoch. And Enoch lived 365 days. And we read in the book of Jude that Enoch was a preacher and he preached against the sins of his day. And he warned, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his saints to execute righteousness and judgment upon all the ungodly and the wicked. And Enoch walked with God. And as Dr. Gordon so beautifully puts it, one day they were out walking and they got near God's home and God said, Enoch, we're closer to my home than your home. Why don't you come home with me today? And Enoch was not, for he walked with God. He was translated. But listen, before he was translated, what did he do? He had a son. That son's name was Methuselah. And the name Methuselah means when he dies, judgment comes. When he dies, judgment comes. Enoch named his own son that. And to show you the God's long-sufferingness to usward, 
in Methuselah lived longer than any other man that ever lived. He lived 969 years. And God gave all those years to earth men to repent, but there was no turning from sin. And the year Methuselah died, the terrible flood came. But God didn't do it without revealing his secrets to his prophets. Now, I've said all that to say carefully the scripture tells us that Jesus is coming. And specifically, it puts its finger on the time of Noah. And the Lord himself said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The glorious truth about the second coming of Jesus is revealed all through the scripture. It is one of the most important pressing doctrines in all the Word of God. One out of every 25 verses in the entire Bible refers to the second coming of Jesus. Now, the new birth is mentioned nine times in the Scripture. The doctrine of baptism is mentioned 20 times in the Scripture. The doctrine of repentance is mentioned 70 times in the Scripture. But the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus is mentioned 380 times in the 264 chapters of the New Testament alone. Over and over and over and over and over, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. The Son of Man is coming. Christ is coming. There is coming a day, the songwriters say. And there has never been a time when more songs about the second coming of Jesus have been written than in the last 10 years, 15 years. People are thinking about it because God has implanted it in the hearts of Bible-believing Christians all around the world. But listen, the world will still make fun of you for thinking of that and believing in it. And the world will go madly on rejecting the doctrine, forgetting all about it, pretending like it's not real, or saying it's only some kind of a spiritual application. It could not mean something supernatural. That's what they said about the first coming of the Lord. But if the scriptures that spoke of the first coming of Christ were fulfilled literally, should the scriptures about the second coming of Jesus not be fulfilled just as literally? Concerning his first coming, the scripture said, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Written 800 years before Bethlehem, that night of nights when Jesus was born. Micah, writing 800 years before the birth of Christ, said, But thou, Bethlehem, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth, who is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth has been from of old, even from everlasting to everlasting, indicating that the one born in Bethlehem stable would be the very God of all gods, from the foundation of the world and it was fulfilled literally now Jesus said ladies and gentlemen as it was in the days of Noah so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man and so we need to examine the days of Noah what were they like what were the days of Noah like turn your Bible to Genesis 4 Genesis 4 5 and 6 Reveal the eight signs of the coming of the Son of Man. If you want to write them down in your heart or on a piece of paper or in your Bible, you might write them down. The eight 
signs of the coming of the Son of Man, they're all revealed in Genesis 4, 5, and 6. And these were the days of Noah. Now remember that in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sinned. And the judgment upon Adam's sin, they were driven out of the garden and they began to die physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. They began to die. And in chapter 4, Adam and Eve had a son. Some believe these sons were twins, Cain and Abel. And Cain rose up and slew Abel. Abel was gone. And because of Cain's terrible sin of murder and a ferocious heart and of rejection of God's way of doing things, God had to pass over the entire Canaanite civilization. Now, Cain was a brilliant person, and he did things in a beautiful way, in a big way. He went out and founded cities. He went out and founded some of the most, most progressive ancient civilizations that were ever in existence. And as the archaeologists dig neath the Syrian sands over and over again, they're unearthing replica of that ancient time before the flood. And Cain was the founder of ancient civilizations. But because of Cain's sin and his utter dis refusal to come back to God, God had to pass him by and stood back and say, all right, go on, Cain, go on. And God passed him over and came to Seth. And in the last part of chapter 4, we have another son born to Adam and Eve, Seth. And then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And in chapter 5, we have the unveiling of all those men who lived so long a time. Ten generations revealed. And it says, they lived, they begot children, and they died. He lived, he begot children, and he died. That's all it says about them. And it says about Methuselah, he lived. And he begot sons and daughters all the days of his years, 969 years, and he died. And finally, when you come to the end of chapter 5, sin begun, begins to become so rampant, and you come to chapter 6, you find the sons of Seth, the godly people of Seth's line, intermarrying with a Canaanite civilization, the daughters of Cain, and there is produced a whole generation who hate God, who reject God, and God has to say in chapter 6 of Genesis, it repents me that I've even made man. It's as if God is saying, I've had it up to here. I'm through with them. But Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord. Now let's examine these for just a moment. Look in Genesis chapter 4. The verse, let me give you these eight signs real quickly. The eight signs, religious apostasy. Number two, great travel. Number three, city building. Number four, polygamy, sexual permissiveness. Number five, agricultural advances. Number six, music. Number seven, metalwork or metallurgy. And number eight, violence and crime. These are the eight signs 
that are given in Genesis 4, 5, and 6. But let's look for a moment at Genesis 4. In Jude, verse 11, we have a reference to the way of Cain. They have run in the way of Cain. Now, what is the way of Cain? There have always been, there has always been one way that pleased God. Jesus said, I am the way. There aren't two ways, just one. And Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Now, when Adam and Eve sinned, God killed some animals, killed an animal. And he took the skin of that animal and clothed Adam and Eve so that their nakedness would not be seen. It was with the shedding of blood that Adam and Eve's sin was covered. Cain knew that. This had been passed on. But when Cain sinned, he said, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to do it my way. So he went out, and he got a very beautiful offering, beautiful in every respect. He took all that vegetation, and he looked through it and got the beautiful parts, and he carried it over to the Lord and put it down here before the Lord. Abel? Abel went over here and got the firstlings of his flock. He had nothing to do with that land. He didn't labor over it. He didn't work hard over it. God had given it. He took that and slew it. He brought before God that blood sacrifice. And the Bible says, by faith, Abel offered unto the Lord a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, what was the difference? Jude refers to the way of Cain. One of the signs of the coming of the Son of Man, as it was in the days of Noah that were before the flood, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. There are two kinds of ways men try to get to God. One is God's way and the other is man's way. One is the way of grace, the other is the way of works. And the whole Christian world is divided tonight. The whole world is divided tonight as to how you please God. There are so many people who say, well, I'm going to do the best I can. They go out and they work their fingers to the bone and they get themselves uh, do kinds, all kinds of good works and all kinds of penance and all kinds of uh, godly deeds and they do this and this and this and they bring it all and say, here it is, Lord, I'm doing the best I can. And God rejects it. And there are others that come over here and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. And the Bible says that man goes down to his house justified. We don't have anything good to bring to God, not a thing. All we can do is come to God as a sinner and say, Lord, I'm destitute and I'm in need and I need you. And when we come God's way, the way of faith, the way of the old blood-sprinkled way, that pleases the Lord. Now listen, tonight our world is divided. Our Christian world is divided. There are many churches that preach and teach, do the best you can. Clean yourself up. Live a good life. Quit your sins. Go do some penance. Get yourself baptized. Join a church. You'll be all right. That's the way of Cain. 
And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of Son of Man. There will be religious people. As a matter of fact, probably Cain was more religious than Abel. Listen, religion will never get you anywhere. You can be as religious as a holy Joel and still die and go to hell. Religion isn't going to do you any good. But I'll tell you, God never rejects faith. The way of faith is the way to heaven. The way of the cross leads home. God hath chosen that by the foolishness of preaching, men should be saved. And so the very first sign we see is the way of Cain. Now another sign we see in this passage is the socioeconomic conditions of the day. Look in verse 16, chapter 4, verse 16. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch, and he built a city and called his name the city after the name of his son Enoch. And Enoch was into e unto Enoch was born Irad, and Irad begot Mahujael, Mahujael, and Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. And Lamech took unto him two wives, and the name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Now immediately we see the city and the pastoral life, the advancement of this civilization. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, and he dwelt in the land of Nod. The land of Nod means wanderer. There's some who believe that Cain, the place Cain went was over to Babylon. There's still others who believe that he went out to India and clear out to China, and he founded ancient civilizations. And incidentally, the ancient Chinese tell us that their civilizations date back to the 4th and 5th century. When I was in Korea, they told us that the Korean civilization dates back 4,000 years. And here in America, our civilization dates back 200 years. They've got it all over on us. These ancient civilizations, perhaps founded in the antediluvian world, before the flood and later reactivated by men after the flood by the Hamites and the Shephites and the Jephites and the Shemites. The important point is, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, they will be great urban dwellers, city dwellers. And the cities will swell and great big and they will be advanced in all kinds of technology and they will grow in their socio-economic standards. But I want you to notice, look at verse 19. And Lamech took unto him two wives. This is the first case of polygamy in the, New in the Scripture, in the Old Testament. God didn't plan it that way to begin with. He planned one man for one woman for life. But Lamech said, well, one wife's pretty good. I'll just take me two. I think it was Brigham Young who came along and said, well, two's not enough. I'll just take 10 or 20. And after a while, in that civilization, a man was known by how many wives he had. And he did it in the name of religion. The whole religious world is like that. This is true in the Mohammedan world tonight. And this is true in the Christian world tonight. Young people, God planned one man for one woman for life. And when that standard is broken, there are broken hearts. 
There are broken homes. There are broken pieces. And there's deep hurt. I could make some simple statements and say, it's all because of this, and oversimplify it. But I want to tell you the tragedy of the broken home tonight is so deep there is no one simple statement that describes it all. It is complex. But I want to say, God never planned it that way. That was not God's plan. And it's enough to make the angels weep. When you think that in Bowling Green, Kentucky, last year, the newspaper accounts gave uh, the record in the court, court uh, columns more divorces than the word marriage license is granted. And I say to those who are getting married, as we talk together before marriage, you're marrying today in a, in, in a world where one out of every three marriages ends in divorce. And in our area, some are suggesting that one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And the law... marriage before they have matured to the level of understanding what it's all about. Now, that's not altogether true because there's some heartbreaks that happen after a couple of them married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. But this is one of the evidences of the coming of Son of Man, the home problems. It was true in Noah's day. It's true today. The breakup of the home At the very best, when two people come together, commit themselves one to the other to live through life's little while together, at the very best, it's hard. Anybody that's been married 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, you'd have to say, hadn't been easy for two personalities who are completely different to try to blend their lives together over a period of years. That isn't easy. But I submit to you, if marriage is built on love, and one will love, and the other will love, and marriage is 150 and 150, and they give and give and almost have a contest to see who can give the most and who can take the most, God can endure that, help that marriage to endure. I recognize tonight that there are some who are so possessed by evil, so possessed by sin, so possessed by the devil, that over and over again, they break those marriage laws and marriage vows and marriage love. And in utter desperation, utter hurt, utter heart cry, one partner has to go out of that marriage. And oh, the heartache, the heartache. But I want to tell you, God didn't plan it that way. God didn't plan it that way. That's one of the signs of our age. But praise God, there's always a land of beginning again with the Lord. I've known some couples who, after the tragedy of that experience, have been able to put back the broken pieces and make life something precious 
and beautiful for God. But one of the signs of the coming of the Son of Man, Lamech, who flouted to the high winds what God said was his plan for life. Young people, hear me tonight. Please, don't reject this word. The Scripture says, Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean things. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Christian, marry a Christian. Marry a Christian. And you know, if you find yourself loving somebody who isn't a Christian, do your very, very best to win that person to Jesus before you marry them. The best plan, I believe, is to go with people who are saved. I think that's God's will. But if you find yourself in love with somebody who is not a Christian, just make it a rule of your heart. Lord, I'm going to do everything I can to win that person to Jesus before I marry them. I believe that's God's plan. I've known some women who married drunkards. They said, I'm just sure he'll quit drinking after we get married. Positive he will. He'll love me so much he'll just quit. Listen, friend, if you can't get him to quit drinking before you marry, you probably won't get, get him to quit drinking after you marry. The only thing that can really help a person like that is Jesus. Meeting Jesus. And when Jesus comes into our life, he changes the whole picture. That's God's will. All right, another one of the signs of the coming. In chapter 5, the home and family breakdown of life. We'll not take time to go into all of those people, but look. Adam lived 930 years, Seth 912 years, Enoch, Enoch 905 years, Canaan 910 years, Mahaliel, 895 years, Jared, 962 years, Methuselah, 969 years, Lamech, 777 years, Enoch, 365 years. In all those people, the only one who took a stand for God was Enoch. And Enoch walked with God, and he walked so close to God, he was not, because God took him. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. They shall be marrying and giving in marriage, and then suddenly he shall come. Two will be at a field, in a field, one will be taken, the other left. Two will be in a bed sleeping, one will be taken, the other left. In Genesis 6, it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all whom they chose. They did the choosing instead of God. God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. I think tonight of a young man 
and young women who were engaged. And they seemed, for all outward purposes, to love each other. We talked together a number of times. And in my heart of hearts, somehow I felt like there was something wrong there, that that wasn't really God's choice for each the other. I just prayed. And after a while, separately, one came and then the other. And they said, you know, this is embarrassing. But I'm not really sure that I love this young man. And later the young man came and said, I'm not really sure that I love this young lady, but I don't know what to do. It's embarrassing. We're engaged. We're getting ready to get married. And when we're together, we love each other. But, but there's this gnawing question, this gnawing doubt as to whether this is really God's will. We prayed. Now, I've learned to never tell somebody what to do about a thing like that. God tells them. God will tell them. We just prayed. Ask the Lord to show them, make it clear. One day they came in. They said, we've discovered that this is not God's will for us. It's embarrassing. We do not believe we should be married. They got out of that engagement. This was a number of years ago. Today, each one of them, that, each one of that, that young man, that young woman, are married to somebody else, and they have a beautiful marriage, and they're happy in it. Now, young people, find out what God wants. Don't rush into some marriage just because you've said yes or just because you have uh, uh, have had some kind of a, a quiver in your liver and something turned over inside of you and you say, well, this must be real love. It may not be anything at all, but just some kind of a turning inside of you. Be sure. Be sure. This is God's plan. as it was in the days. You see, you know why there are so many divorces today among young people? Because people just rush into marriage. They try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't make any difference. And we, we get our standards from Hollywood and from the television, and we figure that, well, here's uh, so-and-so. John, if he can do that, well, I guess I can do that. And here's uh, Rita, and she can do that, well, I can do that. And here, and I'm not talking about any Rita or John in this church. Talking about Hollywood. And if uh, those people over there can do that, well, you know, uh, I'm sure that I can do it. And so they rush into marriage and they get themselves married and boy, they have themselves a big time until two or three weeks, two or three months, two or three years go by and then they can't stand each other. And they figure, well, this is not so bad. We'll just uh, get out of this. I read the other day about a man who'd been married 19 times. And then I read about a lady who had been married 26 times. And she, she just coasted in and out of one marriage after another, one marriage after another, looking for happiness. She never did find it. She reminds me of that woman at the well. Jesus came on the scene, and the, the Lord said, go call your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you've said right. You've had five husbands. 
And the one you're living with now, you didn't even bother to marry him. She had, she had tried one, he didn't satisfy her, she got rid of him. Tried another, he didn't satisfy her, he got rid of her. And over and over and over again, until finally she decided, I'll just live with anybody who comes along, see if I can get some satisfaction. And her theme song was, there ain't no satisfaction. And I want to tell you, there isn't any like that. There is no satisfaction except in Christ. You and I were made as spiritual entities. And until we find that peace and satisfaction in Christ, there won't be any. But you know, sometimes after long years of searching, finally somebody comes along and meets the Lord and meets the will of God for that person's life. And life takes on a whole new perspective, a whole new purpose. And the rest of life can be lived hand in hand here in the earth with the one that God meant for you all along. God meant for you all along. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Look in chapter 6 a moment. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were fair, and they took them wives of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. Jude was a great preacher. Some believe he was the brother, the half-brother of our Lord. Whoever Jude was, he said some of the most important things in the entire Bible. And he warned of the way of Cain. We've already looked at that, the way of religion. Secondly, he warned of the way of Balaam. Now, Balaam was that false prophet in Israel whom Balak tried to get and come and curse the Israelites. And Balaam said, I can't do that. God won't let me. And Balak said, you come anyway. Here's some money and here's this and here's that. And he induced the prophet to come and God said, don't go. And finally, on the way, God stopped his donkey and the donkey talked to Balaam. And that's the story of Balaam's ass that talked. Balaam was so out of the will of God, he couldn't even hear the voice of God and the donkey heard it. But that didn't stop Balaam. He went on anyway. You know what he did? When he got down to the Balak, he said now to the king, he said, now I can't curse the people of Israel. I'm a prophet. I'm a preacher. I can't curse the people of God. Well, God won't let me do that, but I'll tell you, here's what you can do. And you can curse them. And you can do it. He said, throw a big shindig down here. Get all your girls to come down here and take as much of their clothes off as they can and dance around and have a big senior prom and a big uh, dance, you know. And, and, uh, and then you invite all the teenage guys from Israel to come down there and, uh, and, and be there, uh, you know, just play with them and, and dance with them. And, and uh, that's all you have to do. That's enough. That's all. And then Balak turned and went back home. He had done his dirty work. And it's exactly what the king Balak did. And as a result of that abomination, Israel was blinded and stopped. And that generation had to die because those teenage guys got in love with those teenage girls who were heathens. And there were intermarriages, and God said that's an abomination. That's what happened in Genesis 6. And brethren, that's what's happening today. That's what's happening in the land of the free and the home of the brave. That's what's happening in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Over and over again, 
just going with any old body that you want to go with, living any old way you want to live with, doing any old thing. And God says that's sin. Now, I know you'd a lot rather not hear a sermon like this. I know some adults that don't even want to hear it. I know some parents that would rather a preacher not take any stand against their teenage kids experimenting with themselves. I want to tell you, God calls that sin. He says it's sin. Yes, I am. No other way. And I'd rather be silenced in death or have to go out of the field and preach than to preach in a church that said, preacher, you can't preach like that. I'm going to preach it. It's wrong, it's sin, it's wicked, and if you do it, there are wages involved. And there's a high wage. The wage of sin is death every time. God never has changed that. Never has changed it. And this is one of the signs of the coming of the Son of Man. God said it. Oh, let me appeal to you. Put the strength of your youth at Jesus' feet today. And let him have you. Let him take you and break you and mold you and use you. Let me say a startling thing. The majority of the people that listen to me won't listen and won't heed it. The majority of you young people that hear this tonight will say, well, that old fuddy-dud, old gray-headed guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. You go on experiment and you'll have some heartbreaks along the way. And you may have to take God's second best for you. I know some people today who are taking God's second best because they wouldn't listen to God's messenger. God has a first best and then he has a permissive will. He has a perfect will and a permissive will. The perfect will is a straight line from earth to heaven to accomplish the thing God wants. The permissive will is this kind of a line. God eventually gets it done, but you miss out on so many blessings. I feel like I'm, I'm just preaching for people tonight. I'm just ask God to claim the attention of the strength of some young people who will put their all on the line and say, Lord, I will live like you want me to live in the light of the glorious coming of Jesus. If you'll do it, God will bless you for it. And if you won't do it, there will be untold problems and heartache and burdens and sins. Remember, God always gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. If you'll just wait on the Lord, he'll give you what he wants you to have. If God wants you to have, a young man, God wants you to have a fine young wife, beautiful girl, if you leave it to him, he'll finagle away He'll get away, he'll move this, he'll move that, he'll move heaven and earth to get you the one that he wants you to have. But you'll have to wait on him. If you rush ahead of him, he may stand back, say, okay, go ahead, go on, go on. And then out down the line, there are tears, heartbreaks and heartaches. Oh, I appeal to you tonight, in the light of the glorious coming of Jesus, Let God have his way.
I don't have time to go on. I told you I might never get finished tonight. The best part I haven't even gotten to. But my time's up. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. There was marrying and giving in marriage, and then the flood came and took them all away. God said, Noah, you build an ark. Make it out of gopher wood, make it 600 feet long, make it so many feet high, make it so many feet wide, and you put in it some animals, all the different kinds. But the main thing, Noah, it's going to take you 120 years to do this, and all that time I want you to preach. And you warn the people. Now, listen, Noah, they won't listen to you. They won't pay any attention to you, but you go on and do it anyway. You remember when God called Isaiah? He said, Isaiah, you preach. And Lord, Isaiah said, Lord, how long shall I do it? Until there's nobody else to talk to. God called Jeremiah. Jeremiah, you preach. Now, nobody will listen to you, but you go on and preach. And for 40 years, Jeremiah preached. Nobody listened. Noah preached for 120 years. He preached 10 years, and they said, well, you old fool. Whoever heard of rain, it's never rained before, and you're talking about it's going to be a judgment of rain, judgment of flood, water upon us. <laughs> you old crazy funny dog. You've been telling us that 10 years. He preached over 20 years. And they said, well, that, you, just, that, you haven't changed your message. You, you talked about that 15 years ago when I heard you. And then 10 years ago when I heard you, just like the same old thing you ever said, you old crazy fool. And he preached it for 50 years and 60 years and 70 years and 100 years. And some of the, some of the little... Teenage kids running around said, my grandfather talked about you, and he said that's what you preached when he was a little boy. And nothing's ever happened, you old crazy fool. And Noah kept on preaching, and he kept on preaching, and he kept on building that ark, and one day God said, Noah, that's enough. That's enough, it's finished. Now you get in the ark. And Noah went in the ark, and all of his family, and the animals, and God closed the door. And seven days later, God sent a rain. And then looked up and said, well, this is strange. Never rained before. I don't understand this. That's what that preacher preached about. And then all the fountains of the deep began to come loose. And the waters came up. And there were great tidal waves. And the water rose. And the water that rose buoyed up that old ark. And the water that was a judgment upon all those who believed not was the same water that buoyed up the ark as an ark of safety for those who believed. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. You've heard the message. Jesus is coming. I don't know when, but you've heard it. And you can get a hard, rebellious heart and go out of here and say that old man preached an hour tonight. I don't like it a bit. You can do that. Or you can say, God spoke to me, and I want to do something about it. I want to commit my life to live a godly, soul-winning Christian life. And Lord, if I've made up mess of the things of my life, and who of us hasn't? Who of us hasn't? What one person in this room tonight could stand and say, I've never come short of the glory of God. I've always stayed in the perfect plan, not any of us. There's not one person who could stay, stand and say, none of those sins was I ever involved in. You see, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but glory to God, there's a land of beginning again. We start over with Him, and God can enable us 
to pick up the broken pieces of our life and put them back together and start a life all over again in Christ. Would you do it? Until Jesus comes, serving, living, and put the strength of your youth at Jesus' feet. And if you've blown it, come back and say, God, I've just blown it. And I want a second chance. And you know what God will do? God is a God of a second chance. I'm so glad of that. Jonah ran away from God. And God had to discipline him. And finally, in the belly of a fish, Jonah said, Lord, I'm sorry. I cry unto you. And God made that old fish regurgitate Jonah. Somebody said, I don't see how the fish kept Jonah down there that long. He regurgitated him, and Jonah came out preaching. And he ran over to Nineveh. Forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. He didn't want to preach that, but he did it because God said to do it. And you know what happened? There was a revival. The greatest revival that ever occurred occurred at the hands of a man who had disobeyed God and finally came back and went on with God. You can do it tonight, too. I don't care what your situation. I don't care what the past is. I don't care what the problems. I don't care what it is. God can move into your life and use you in a tremendous way. I know a man tonight who had a terrible heartbreak in his early ministry. He's a preacher. And you may not, you and I may not agree with the way he did handle the situation. This man, in his early ministry, before he was ever, before he yielded his life to the will of God, he was married. He married a girl that wasn't true to him. And she went in and out. And finally, while he was pastor of a church, she flagrantly broke those marriage covenants and left God out and left the preacher and his little girl and went off with another man. I went to be with that man in a revival meeting shortly after that happened, just about the time that she left. This was years ago. The man was heartbroken. And he was going to quit preaching, go out of the ministry. God can't ever use me again, he said. Got on his knees. He said, Lord, I'll give you what's left of my life. He went to the deacons and told them. And those deacons were men of God. They surrounded him and said, no, we're not going to let you do that. They remind me of the deacons of George Truett. When George Truett killed a man, he was going to quit preaching, going to quit it all. Those deacons got around him and said, no, you can't do that. We'll give you some time off, but we're not going to let you quit. And they buoyed him up in that time of heartbreak. And George Truett became, became the great man of God that influenced the whole world to the Lord. This young man had the deacons that moved around him and they surrounded him with love and patience and, and on and on he preached. Now you and I might not agree with what happened and you know my stand on this. But later, God sent another lady to that man and they married and he started life all over again and God blessed them and today God is using that man in an effective way now as I said we may disagree I may not agree with that but I want to tell you I can see the hand of God 
And I can see God doing that in your life. If you've made a mistake, if the past, put the past behind you and say, Lord, I'm going to pick up the broken pieces and I'm going to get on down the road serving God. And God will use you, bless you, make you. I dare you to do it. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank Thee that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. We thank You for that. We pray the Spirit of Jesus will move across this congregation. And Lord, help us, not one of us, to hide behind our past failures. And say, Lord, I'm going to curl up in a knot and die and quit because I made a mistake along the way or I've had problems and perplexities and heartbreaks in my life and I don't know what to do about them. Lord, help us to take them all to you and find that there's a wideness in God's mercy like the wideness of the sea. And find that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, flowed from Calvary to cleanse us from every sin. Pray that tonight somebody will say, Lord, I, I, I just want to start serving in a new way. May young people be willing to put aside all of the things, the hurdles, the difficulties, the weaknesses of the flesh, and just say, Holy Spirit, fill me to serve you. And may adults put the strength of their life before you until Jesus comes. We pray in his name, amen. May we stand, please. You've really been patient with me tonight, and I appreciate it. God bless you. We're going to sing, Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night, Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come to thee. If you'll come to Jesus like you are, he'll receive you. Because Christ receiveth sinful men. Will you come his way? God help you to do it. If you're not saved, you're here tonight, you've never come to Jesus, never been saved, I want to urge you to come with your sins and your heartaches and your sorrows and your hurts. And just say, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. If your membership is in some other church and God wants you at this church, I want to urge you to come tonight. Don't put it off. Just come right now and say, Lord, I, I believe this is where God wants me to serve and I want to do it tonight. And dear friend, if God has spoken to you about some other area of your life, and you'd like to put it all on the altar and say, Lord, here I am, use me. Come to Jesus tonight. Bring to him your old, worn-out, tattered garments and let him replace them with his robe of righteousness. While we sing, we'll be the first to come for the king tonight. God help you to do it.